Welcome to the Grip Strip Podcast, episode 42, the bench racing uh, continued origin stories and more um, edition of the Grip Strip Podcast. I'm Philip Matthew. I'm here with my co-host, Joshua Fine. What's good, brother? I'm doing good, Phil. Uh, we only got one week until racing starts, so uh, it's going to already be uh, back to racing pretty soon and um, going to have um, more to talk about, I guess, but I'm glad to be on the show tonight. Well, yeah, I mean, got to gotta throw it to a couple things. I mean, Supercross has actually started the Great Lee Diffie, calling it um, along with Todd Harris, who most famously blew his load all over the Indianapolis Motor Speedway press box when Danica Patrick took the lead in 2005. Um, but he recovered from that, supposedly. Um, they are doing Supercross. Uh, Kyle Larson canceled himself and somehow or another is still able to win. And he did that at the Chili Bowl um, at a very late hour because it took him about 18 hours to prep the track. And um, I fell asleep, I think, somewhere in the B main and uh, woke up to see the A main or I changed a channel because I couldn't take it. Um, so yeah, Kyle Larson won, Chris Bell went and had a massive flip, uh, which probably made Reverend Gibbs say a bunch of Hail Marys cause he was making sure his, his, um, golden boy, uh, was able to make it through and he did, but he was the only guy that really made Larson sweat in that race. They weren't able to get enough long runs going to where the traffic played a role. But then the way Larson was cutting through traffic, it was almost like Kyle Busch um, going and on, on pavement. So kind of get into that. We'll get into the Indy cars and the Rolex 24, as Josh mentioned, because we, our special guest tonight is one of the best uh, journalists there is uh, one of the best motorsports journalists, but just one of the best journalists and people. There is uh, somebody who interacts with the fans, who is salt of the earth. Um, the great Joey Barnes is on tonight, and um, thank you so much for your time. I know you're a busy man. You got a lot of irons in the fire, but we thank you for coming on tonight on the GSP. Definitely. Uh, thanks for having me. And um, you know, you and I have interacted a lot on, on, on Twitter and social media, uh, mostly because we're both Niner fans. And you asked me to jump on, and uh, I guess now about a month ago, and we finally got the time arranged and could sit down tonight. So I'm pretty pretty excited for it. And like Josh said, uh, we got racing season coming up. Some of some of them's already kicked off, and uh, just really really stoked to see where things head coming to uh, to Rolex here in the next couple weeks. Yeah, and that's the thing. You're you're in the you're connected to a lot of the insiders and a lot of the key players that are in this Rolex 24 coming up. I mean, the roar is coming up this weekend and next the following weekend's the Rolex 24 itself. So, I mean, there's there's already things going on, the drivers, teams, everything has to be on point so i know that you're able to get give us a um insider perspective that few would be able to get other than yourself so um and also indycar testing at sebring for some of the teams uh cheap ganassi uh aj foyt 
since AJ Ford actually has a race car driver again, it's nice that Sebastian Bourdais um, is driving that car um, on his basically his retirement tour. But at, at least he'll have a driver in the 14 car uh, again. And um, he has Dalton Callett paying for it. So that's nice of Dalton Callett and his family. And then, um, you know, it was a Graham Rehaul and uh, Takuma Sato at uh, Ray Hall Letterman. Lanigan and everybody else in the alphabet. Um, I think there's a couple other people that were testing there, uh, but we'll get into all that. Uh, but first, I wanted to kind of open the show with you, jo- uh, uh, Joey, and kind of connect it to last week. We had Phil Spain on, and we were doing a doing a origins and bench racing kind of thing about favorite moments and things. And for you. I mean, I know you as Joey Barnes, the journalist and, you know, big time player in that sense. But where did this all start? Where did this passion for motorsports and sports start along with your ability to go and write at this this high level? Oh, man, Uh, (laughs) 35 years old now. So uh, the the passion comes from just, you know, being a kid and watching it Uh, just you know, I remember being in my living room and, and watching the Indy 500, watching Buddy Lazier with a broken back when the Indy 500 96. Um, obviously, I was really uh, thrown into NASCAR uh, a little bit before that. Uh, just my dad was a big Dale Earnhardt fan. So a lot of NASCAR in my house. Um, and I actually grew up uh, really liking how Michael Andretti was and, and how Greg Moore was, uh, just, just their, their demeanor on the track, their demeanor off the track, more Greg than, than Michael in that sense off the track, but on the track, I thought they were both just ruthless. And I found myself aggravated by the likes of, of Ganassi racing with Vassar and, and Zanardi and Montoya for, for quite some time, uh, for that little, what, four or five year stint that, that everything was just ultra high in cart. Um, but that just kind of continued, uh, nothing special. And, you know, it's, um, it's interesting that as time wore on, you know, I ended up through high school and everything, playing football, playing football after. And, um, I, we kind of just, I kind of hit this interesting point in my life where I wasn't playing football anymore. Um, had some family stuff going on. Um, uh, I guess this is kind of on a personal note, but th- those that know me know the story. So now everybody will know the story, but uh, I was actually taking care of my grandmother who had uh, dementia, uh, eventually led to Alzheimer's. And um, during that time of taking care of her, I created a Facebook group called Tribute to Fallen Race Drivers. Um, a lot of people started to interact on it um and a friend of mine came up to me and was like hey why don't you try to do this on a bigger scale like you get racing you understand it why don't you try to create something and um so i did it was just some cheesy blog and i went in it with literally next to nothing uh understanding on the media and what needed to be done and the the crazy bit of it is is uh, i just continued to be a sponge and take from from any type of advice i could get from people try to look at, at different critiques and and i had read about racing as long as i was a fan you know i mean when i was younger it was it was racer magazine and it was it was following around what what robin miller and guys like that did so 
um, seeing the written word with it wasn't necessarily unfamiliar to me, with with me, but trying to learn how you break into it was something that was just I, I didn't think it was possible. Uh, just when you're on the outside, you never know, you know, which way to get in. So anyway, long story short, on a longer long story so far, um, I ended up going to a test and for IndyCar test and Mike Zizzo was working for TMS communications at the time and said, uh, you know, you kind of know what you're talking about. We'll get you in here for a race, try you out. If you make a fool of yourself, you're not coming back. If you don't, we'll keep going. So, uh, I guess things turned out pretty well from there. It was about, Hey, I need to figure out how to turn this into a paid gig. So somehow, uh, Mike Kit Kitchell, um, who was head of IndyCar Communications, uh, we talked. This is now, I guess, four years into a journey of me driving all the way across the country on my own dime and going from Dallas-Fort Worth on an overnight drive to to Laguna Seca and covering the, the Road to Indy finale and then covering the, the IndyCar finale uh, up in Sonoma. So... The next year uh, at the 500, Kitch talked to me and and we figured out that maybe I could do a little bit of work with IndyCar. And so I just um, kind of jumped at the chance and one article became three. Eventually it became five. Before I knew it, I was doing more and more content for them and I was getting some other freelance opportunities. And now I've got work published in, in Auto Week and Racer and uh, you know, been in the Indy 500 program. So it's just, it, it's humbling to see kind of where my work's been considering what kind of beginnings I had, because I literally came in as a guy that quite honestly, uh, it's just stunning that I got here in the first place, given how little I knew. I mean, I know so many guys who have, have got the college degrees and have got so many different things and they're very qualified in their own right. But, um, I, I, I don't know how, but it just kind of ended up in my favor in some ways. So, yeah, that's kind of the weird story. Um, long story, and it's been eight years entering year nine now. Well, for for somebody else who's 35 going on 36, and the fact that you've been able to go on this journey and um, ride it out and live I mean, I'm sure, I mean, this is the positive, this is the positive, you know, the absolute best looking part of this, I, the days and the nights of grinding and long drives, like it, it, it reminds me of conversations I've had in the, in the media center with D Hardy and with Frank and Missy of the Indie Sports Car Podcast, which is a main reason why the gsp exists um there they had those stories and they told them they talked about them to me years ago about how they would be driving to iowa or they drive to texas or they drive to to barber baba um they'd go to where i mean it's just amazing um the commitment and the passion and that's fundamentally i think why i love indycar as much as probably any motorsport right now or um sports cars 
I mean, even though sports cars is going through another transition, which I mean, there's always been transition for my whole entire life. I know for you too, uh, Joy, and even Josh, we've all seen so much transition in 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 sports cars. I don't think it really ever stays for more than like a five year period. But um, that story and that, I mean, to take care of your family, take care of your grandmother. Um, it hits the heart and it's to think that, I mean, in the end to family first, of course, but to be able to take care of somebody you love and what that allowed you to do and what has, has basically blossomed from that. I think, uh, I mean, it's, it, it, it speaks a lot to what this is about and it's life and, and life, love, and and passions, and you know, and I, I think it's it's an awesome thing. Uh, it's a beautiful thing, and it's why you're one of the best because you bring it from the heart. Um, there's a lot of guys and gals that may not do that. Um, they're willing to take the check, even though being a journalist is not a very high-paying job. They're willing to go and just kind of mail it in. There's specific ones that I have probably named on here and I've been blocked by and I don't really care that I've been blocked by them because quite frankly, they suck. Um, I'm not going to mention them here because I'm probably sure that you know them very well. Um, <laughs> but the fact is you're real and um, and that's what matters. And I think the fact is you're coming on this this deal, you know. Um, we're early days here and, um, I mean, for me, I know for Josh, I know why he's doing it. I know why I'm doing it. It's been a journey for me as a, as in my life, as a journalist going back 15 years now, it started 15 years ago. And I think I found my voice on here better than I, I can express it in words in, in, in the written word. So I feel like finding, making connections with the likes of yourself and like Chris and, you know, the, the other, uh, men and women that are in the, in the paddock and in the media center and for both IndyCar and sports car more than even NASCAR, uh, it's really a passion project there. It really is a passion project because, I mean, NASCAR, I mean, we could get into it, but I don't really want <laughs> to tonight. It's, it's, it's really, it's a joke. Um, I give you credit. You're an Earnhardt. I mean, were you an Earnhardt fan like your dad or did, who, did you have a different driver? Or? So that's interesting. Um, I wasn't necessarily, I wasn't opposed to Earnhardt. I would always kind of you know it's it's the typical kid thing right you're always going to go counter to whatever your parents do just because you want to you know when they tell you no you go ahead and do it anyway kind of thing so he liked Earnhardt um I was kind of around the and this is really late in his career but you know Daryl Waltrip um was was really up there for me I I enjoyed uh Michael Waltrip whenever he drove uh the seven Klausner furniture car back in the day uh the Napa car early on uh this is this is before we got TV Mikey yeah um we got the driver Mikey that that Dale Earnhardt took a chance on 
Um, one of my favorite memories, actually, uh, just to kind of dip off for a second, is uh, my, my dad being an Earnhardt fan. I'll never forget um, when Dale Earnhardt Jr. was a rookie uh, coming in. And I told my dad whenever they came to Texas, Dale Jr.'s rookie year, I said, Dale Jr.'s going to go out there and win that damn race. And he was like, you're full of it. He goes, Senior's going to pull it off. And I was like, Junior won the year before in uh, what was called the Bush Series. Mm -hmm. um, and I said, I think he's going to get it done. And he goes out there and gets his first win at Texas Motor Speedway. And it was just – it was a really cool scene post-race. It's it's something I probably won't forget. Um, but I just remember seeing my dad and, like – it, it was kind of interesting. He didn't know whether to be upset or to light up just with just you know, the same amount of happiness, but just because you saw that the apple didn't fall far from the tree um, and just what it, what it meant for the sport, what it also meant for the fans uh, that were just Earnhardt fans that, that were also going to be junior fans just because of senior, but also the fact that we're looking at a kid that, I mean, it's crazy to think of where we are now and just how much Dale Earnhardt Jr. has grown up before our very eyes. Um, and, I mean, that's just to think that there's so many moments like that along the path. I mean, obviously, more of those moments are easier to to see. They're easier to, to really pull from now because in this day and age, there's, there's social media, there's more audio and video and things like that versus back in the day. Um, you know, I was left with either a VHS tape of, of recording the race. Um, I promised NASCAR I didn't sell it, so there's no copyright thing there. And um, but also like newspaper clippings. Um, you know, John Sturban was a local writer for for the Fort Worth Star Telegram around here, and I used to I used to cut all all his uh, newspaper clippings of the race stuff. So, um, you know, just just little things like that kind of kind of come to mind. But yeah, I was. That was one of the interesting stories, um, and I, to be honest with you, um, and I'm sure that there's there's many fans that I've talked to that are kind of like this. My dad was very much in the majority where once um, once the Daytona 500 happened in 2001, and and we lost Dale, and Dale Dale passed away. Um, my dad actually just completely did away with it for a good ten. 12 years and he didn't actually start getting back into racing um just because he didn't have anybody to pull for and it didn't start happening until i started to kind of get into racing and and carve my own path as a journalist and and here he is and and i'm not saying he's going to go and watch a bunch of nascar races but if it's an indy car race or the occasional nascar race that i might be at um you know he's definitely paying attention so that's kind of cool is is that my my path to journalism has kind of into racing through journalism has kind of gotten him gotten him back into something that in a weird way he is really paved the way for for me to have my passion so kind of went full circle that way yeah i mean you brought up texas and you brought up that race with dale with Junebug. um for me uh i mean that was an amazing moment in the life of junior for his career validated his career and getting Budwasher and all that. Um, and also his dad, that celebrate the fact that you saw Dale Earnhardt senior, the way that he looked it, because the reality was, just, it was a similar kind of thing. The way that his dad went and looked at Ralph went and treated Dale. They didn't really have the most lovey, you know, relationship. But 
he was generally able to kind of see the first inklings of what became one of the greatest race car drivers of all time. Dale Sr. was at least able, he didn't think anything of Junior at times, and the way Junior talks about it, it kind of seemed the same way. Uh, Kelly was probably the one of the three that really could have taken off, but Dale Sr. was like, I want you to run. I know you're really smart, and you can run this deal. And quite frankly, Kelly's done a really good job running this deal, Uh, whether it was a chance to now JRM. Um, she's been one of the three main women in Dale Jr.'s life forever, or four, really. Um, now you can, for like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do the count now. I'm trying to think because really Dale Jr.'s life has, there's a bunch of strong women there. And I think that's a lot for all of us. But um, I also look at that race and that was the one race that Adam Petty was able to drive in, in the cup series. And it, the and the family dynamic of how great families and how Adam Petty's life soon after that, I mean, what is it, a week or so after that, uh, the great Lee Petty passed away. And then a few weeks after that, Adam Petty passed away. But and, and also Kyle missed the race. But by the time he had gotten in a car because he was there to like, he was still there because of Adam and he was able to fill in as a relief driver, Adam blew up. So they were never able to race on the track at the same time. Um, it's kind of crazy how, how things work in this sport with, with families and racing and the celebrations. You see how the fathers like you saw how Adam, how Kyle and even Mr. The King was when, when Adam won ARCA races or ASA races or whatever. And it was a different emotion. It's the same way as Dale senior became a totally different guy when June bug won Texas and even won the all-star race coming from wherever, um, past Dale Jarrett. Uh, it, it's definitely speaks to, um, the way the sport is. And I'm, and it's a good, and I'm, I'm glad that your father is able to be a part of that now that you're able to cover IndyCar sports cars a whole bit, because I mean, it's, it, it's, it's nice to have that support and have family behind you. Um, Josh, you have anything uh, to ask in regards or for Joey? Well, I'll start off with uh, the Texas story there. And you, know, you talked about your dad being a Dale senior fan and um, you predicting that, uh, Dale Jr. win that race, and you know, as a junior fan myself, lifelong junior fan. Um, well, that was before my time, but I, I have to say that that was good insight there into that prediction. But I guess uh, for me, like you know, between like covering like all the sports, whether it's sports cars, Indy cars, or um, NASCAR, um, I guess like what's more of like the I guess differences, I guess, uh, or similarities, like between covering all three of the sports and I guess like which, which one of them, like, uh, do you enjoy like covering the most between the three? Oh man. Um, that's a really good question. Um, cause I've, I've had a chance to kind of, especially this past year, uh, I say this past year, this year just started. So this, this most recent year from, from January, 2020, uh, to now, uh, getting a chance to cover Supercross and the chili bowl and a few other things. But, um, so IndyCar's 
always my number one. Um, I just think that what you get from it is the very thing that, that motorsports is, which is you're, you're going to get more rawness. Uh, you're going to get more rawness out of the drivers. There's, there's the, I think the important thing with motorsports is, is you don't want it to be totally politically correct. Uh, you don't want guys that come off. So, so corporate white collar, even though they're representing these corporate white collar companies, you don't want them to come across so corporate white collar that it, it's uh, feels fake that it's not something that transcends with the fan base and things like that. So to me, IndyCar really does a good job. The drivers do a really good job of, of kind of delivering that. Um, and from a media standpoint, and I can really only speak to stuff pre-COVID because uh, just the, the nature of the habits of covering things was, was so different this past year with the pandemic. Um, and I'm kind of hoping that We'll eventually get back to where we were a little bit, uh, but I don't think I think it would be an illusion to think that any type of coverage is ever going to be the same uh, moving forward. I think that now we've kind of had to relearn the kind of adjustments that we're going to have to do. But um, yeah, for me, IndyCar really sends it home. Uh, they do a really good job. Um, NASCAR and a lot of that's because they're the ones that really did good with bullpens and things like that. So like whenever. Whenever you're trying to get through and get your material and move forward, um, you know, the Indy 500 is always really great. They always bring the drivers in. There's usually a bunch of tables and you're rotating between um, and you're just you can go out and get what you want to get. And you have a better chance of getting exclusive content versus some other entities where that's a little bit maybe tougher. Um, you know, on the NASCAR landscape, those guys could get booked for weeks and. You know, and, and I'll be honest, I'm not quite in uh, like Bob Pockris would be, say. Uh, Bob is awesome and does a really good job. And I'm not going to have, you know, I'm not going to have Kyle Busch's phone number to, to be able to call him up if I need a quote or something. So not that maybe Bob does that. I don't really know how Bob does his routine. But, um, but you know, for my money, uh, IndyCar has been good. And then after that, I would probably say – my favorite is is Formula One, actually. I, I feel like, even though I just, just made a joke about corporate white collar and you couldn't get more more velvet rope than, than Formula One, I think that the, the structure that they have in place uh, really works uh, because, and I've said this to a number of people uh, behind the scenes, it's just the glass wall works, right? Like the, the illusion that you can reach out and touch it, but you can't. It's the same thing as being a kid and being told no. Uh, you know, it's it's I want you're so close. You know, I want to to touch that. I want to see that. So, I, I think that um, you know, from that standpoint, they do a good job with it. And I love how every single day for four days you have a chance to go out there, and every team hospitality is going to have guys that uh, team principals, drivers, if they didn't have to speak uh, in the media media presser that day. You're going to have guys that you can go out there to and find exclusive content for. So, and I think that's what helps make our jobs valuable as media members is to go out there and actually get that kind of exclusive content uh, versus having, you know, 200 of us on a Zoom call and regurgitating the same thing. You do that, fans lose interest real quick. Uh, readers lose interest because then everybody's saying the same thing. And that's why I think there's just really a select few amount of journalists who continue to, to really hit all the right notes with, with that. So, but um, yeah, I, I'd say IndyCar, then uh, 
and then Formula One. And uh, I mean, from a sport perspective, I'd probably say Supercross. Um, you know, it's just that's that's something different. But uh, from a single show perspective, I, there's nothing like the Chili Bowl. I, I know, I know there was a little bit of a joke earlier, but I mean, when you got when you got 300 guys out there, guys and girls going out there and racing, um, that's every single night, you know, Monday through Friday. And then you got the alphabet soup on Saturday to be able to just go out there, maybe not this year, but in traditional years. Uh, and the one year I covered it, if you need to find somebody, you just go out there and you do it. And it's, you're able to just capture, you know, what's there, what's real. I mean, y'all, y'all talk about, you know, kind of the realness and, and, and stuff like that. You know, to me, racing is raw. It's always meant to be that way. I, and I think that if I'm being totally honest with that with y'all, I, I think that's the one thing that the further along we try to go with motorsports, that's the one thing that they keep polishing it, right? And and they keep trying to make it more than what it is. And I, I think sometimes that's at the detriment. And I think that maybe that's one of the reasons why when you really look at, you know, the situation with racing as a whole, like why maybe you can look at these astronomical numbers for, for TV numbers, for, for all these different other sports. Part of it's because, you know, nowadays kids got other interests. That's number one. But number two is there's so many sports that whenever you see a guy, you know, make a slam dunk or, or have a touchdown or something like that, they're able to act on something instantly. They're able to to showcase it with something instantly. And I think in racing, we get excited about the drama aspect of it, about a guy who's fired up because he just got taken out or that's fired up, you know, like willpower crossing the finish line for the, for the Indy 500, taking the win and saying some words that I probably shouldn't repeat, but uh, y'all are welcome to, if y'all want it, y'all show, but you know, it's the fact that you can get that, you know, you got to harness that type of stuff and you got to capture it because at the end of the day, that, that edge is what people are all about. That edge is what people want because they're not going to get that at their nine to five grind. Um, so they they get a chance to to get it in, in sports and in racing and, and however they see fit. And, and some people it's video games and that's where I racing could really hit a lot of good notes. Um you know, watching guys maybe go off the rails a little bit uh, <laughs> and cause a little bit of, of drama and people butthurt over, I don't want to call it a video game, but it certainly is not real life. So, but, uh, you know, all in all, I know it's a little bit of a uh, off the rails rant, but um, yeah, that's just kind of my thoughts on what's good to cover and kind of what we need and why things are good to cover. And I think that those sports certainly do a really good job of, of capturing those kind of things. I mean, that's awesome. Uh, Josh, you have, I didn't want to interrupt you. You had anything more? Um, I guess like another thing I wanted to know is like, um, if you're willing to say like, uh, are there like any other like personalities or drivers of interest that, you know, you've had any like good interactions with that you've been able to, you know, uh, keep in contact or anything like that um, over your journey? Uh, actually, yeah, quite a few. Um, a lot of them on the IndyCar side. And, and this is part of, you know, this I've got IndyCar, you know, Kitsch and guys like that. Mark Robinson, who, who has really helped me on the digital side. I mean, he, he just helped me become an absolute boss uh, of a writer, if there is such a thing. Uh, not to try to be cocky there, but... Uh, Cause he, I think he's just, he's absolutely the man on that. But, uh, 
No, um, whenever I got a chance to do road to indie stuff, I got to, to to interact and connect with a lot of a lot of kids as they were moving up the ranks, and so getting a chance to kind of talk to the likes of uh, Pato Award and and you know now Kyle Kirkwood, I I think that kid is something special. Uh, if he gets his opportunity at the next level, I certainly think that he's going to be tough for a lot of people to contend with. Uh, you know, obviously Oliver Colton. Um, you know, my first, my, my, the first road to Indy season finale I covered was actually when you had, uh, Aaron Tila Tempato battling for the, at the time, what was called the pro miles championship. Uh, and that was, that was a wild end to that, but equally was, was as wild as the Ed Jones Santa Yerudia, uh, race for the championship and how that came about. And, you know, that was, there, there's guys like that, that, um, you know, I, I've, began relationships uh friendships with a lot of them uh, over the years and you know on the on the indycar side i mean obviously you get a chance to know the likes of, of simon pagino and graham rahal and guys like that just really good guys and yeah i mean you talk about uh earlier you kind of introduced me as a salt of the earth kind of guy and when you get a chance to just talk to these guys like just talk um they're they're as real as anybody else um, that you would have in your life. I mean, they're just, they're awesome people. And a credit to them is that, you know, a lot of them know that it's important for them to use their platform for something, um, on whether it's Will Powers comedic, uh, social media videos where he likes to put his face now on everything. Um, and, and those are hilarious, but, um, you know, Takuma Sato, um, doing a lot for, for the tsunami relief, um, just over the years. So there's so many guys like that, that do such a really good job of, of giving their platform. Um, you know, and obviously I, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't also say just, just how proud I am to also cover IndyCar. When you look at the fact that you've got guys like Roger Penske who are helping put together, uh, deals to, you know, we, we, what was, what year was it? I'm cause now these years kind of run together, but grace Autosport was, was going to be like an all women, uh, entry for the 500. That was a couple of years ago, actually. Yeah. And, and now we run into a scenario where, you know, now we've got a Penske partnership to help get, uh, Beth that was involved. I, I forget her last Beth name. Peretta. There you she go. She used to work for um, for Mopar with uh, Ralph Giles, Giles, whatever, um, with the whole Viper program and that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, and and you got Simona uh, back in IndyCar, which I think which is, I think she's as talented as as they come. I yeah. mean, I know that the, there's a lot of people that share the sentiment of man, if you put her in a in a road course car, uh, a Penske car in a road course lights out like it's guaranteed podium which you know we're not going to get the road course just yet but certainly this is we should have already been here as a sport um in many ways but at least we're at least we're there now i mean right you can always say well we should have been here you know 10 years ago we should have done a better job as a sport everybody should have done a better job um to help raise awareness uh, you know for for gender equality for for uh, racial equality things like that we should have done been there a long long time ago but um and it's sad that it took this long but at least we're here uh, and getting there i should say uh from an indycar perspective with with stuff like this so um and also with force indy i mean when you look at this roger penske's only been a part of this sport 
or part of the sport, part of the ownership officially for a year. And the year that he had to do it was the year we had a pandemic, right? And I can't even imagine the constraints that that put on and the plans that he had that kind of got pushed to the side or, or put on hold because you just couldn't move forward with them. And, you know, in light of all that, we've got, you know, Force Indy coming in the road to Indy and all minor- minority team. And then we've got, um, you know, this team that, that came out, uh, was it Tuesday now? Because today's, uh, today's Wednesday or Monday. Maybe it was Monday. I'm getting my days mixed up too. Welcome to the off season. But anyway, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm just excited about those things and, um, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens. You're, you're giving us so much content that Josh and I are trying to figure out how we're keeping up with everything. I think this is going to have to be a return appearance. We're going to have to make this a regular deal. Cause, um, I mean, there's so many great things, uh, that, I mean, we've only been we're we're the kind of podcast that doesn't really care about how much time we're on. Um, it's probably because I lose my my track of time and I love it uh, so much. And, you know, Josh and I will get into conversations and stuff. But I think in terms of this podcast, the in whatever, however, just over a half an hour, the amount of stuff you've given us, this is just unbelievable. Um I just ramble. I mean, well, that's why it's taken so much time. I just well, ramble. Well, it's not about rambling. The fact you say it's rambling, but this is great stuff here. And it goes into this question because I had two things that were on my mind. One is because of your being from Texas. And I get, I mean, I'm not a fan of one particular racetrack that exists there. Um, there's, there's, there's a certain oval track that um, Kyle Petty famously said about Darlington because he couldn't ever get around Darlington, that they should fill it with water um, and just put fish in there. Uh, something along those lines. I've said that about a certain speedway um, along with many other things, along with the person that is their carnival barker. But I do love circuit of the Americas because Tavo Hellman, before they ran him out the door, designed a great racetrack, and it is one of the best racetracks in the world. No matter what anyone wants to say, it's a real challenge. I think it's also a personal bias because I'm a Lewis guy that he's really good there, but then he's really good at most places. Um, How much has that changed your... Before you... I mean, connecting it as a fan, but also in your journalistic aspect of being able to have two tracks that are local because before that the the closest track you really had other than dirt racing was Texas world. And that's in college station where A&M is at. I don't know where you are centrally located in that sense, but having Dallas Fort Fort Worth and then also having Austin um, with two major racetracks in, in the world, um, how much did that make a difference in your fandom, but then also in your journalistic side? What does it mean with some of the opportunities that you've had? Before I go into the second question, Ed. Um, I'd say it's it definitely had a big part to play in it. Uh, I mean, Texas was built in 97. Uh, I was 12 years old, give or take. Um, 
And truth be told, I actually never was able to go to a race there until 2000 and I think three, maybe 2002, something like that. Matt Kenseth won on a Monday. I know because I cut class I, to, to go. <laughs> I, I literally skipped school. I got grounded. That um, is awesome. <laughs> so my, my dad raised a fit, but I bought the tickets. I didn't care. I'm going. So um, he'd you always take 18 me- years old. I mean, what does it matter? Right. Uh, or you're 17. Actually, no, no, I'm sorry. I think I was actually 16. It was oh, 2002. That's... So yeah, I was I was like 16. 16 going on 17. Oh, so you're 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 pushing some limits. No, I, I guess so. I had the car, so I didn't care. Um, yeah. I cut that's class. Right. I cut track <laughs> practice. I, I was like, whatever. Um, so my dad was thrilled. But you know, when when you throw me out there to to just practice and qualifying days, and you don't give me a taste of the race and you just take my mom all the time you know i figured why not i'll just i'll just skip school on a monday and it was on from there but uh had season ticket holder and all that and that was so so i guess to kind of finally get to that part of the question um i never i always loved that racetrack because you know the races that i attended and you know as you as the race wore on there one there was always storylines um you know that era of nascar was phenomenal for so many reasons um you know one they're not you're they're not trying to do too many things you know you're letting i mean granted it's it's what i know as a youngster not what i know as a media member so for all i know they could have been doing way more things but uh you know as a as a youngster looking at how nascar was then they weren't so put in a box like they are now right like you're not trying to reduce the horsepower and improve you're not trying to make the mile and a half show um into into what we see at daytona and talladega where a guy has got his foot on the floor but can't pass anybody you know shades of kansas last year with logano and harvick um so it was it was good racing and as the age uh as as the surface wore on um you know it it developed better racing i mean we had the casey kane elliott sadler side by side there was there were so many you could use the top lane i mean indy cars were just steroids back then i mean just to see i'll never forget seeing them for a brief moment five wide going through three and four um and that was in the sam hornish era and that was i think you had buddy lazier and sam hornish and tony if i get my years mixed up tony canon i i don't remember who was one in the championship i think that was the year that canon won the title so it was oh four um but it was just it was just some of the most magical racing and you know so having said all that that really engulfed uh me into my local track it was nice to have uh, i had something that i guess my parents didn't have a whole lot of because it was literally in my backyard 15 minutes from my house versus texas world which was what two and a half three hours away to college station so um yeah so had that so when i was a media member and got a chance to, to cover those things that was before they decided to to kind of tear through the track and and re- revamp one side to make it more Fontana esque uh, and keep the the mile and a half back end version like it is. And here's what I will say before uh, before getting crazy about it because I know that it's it's not necessarily everybody's favorite, but I will say two things. One, I think that that show that they put on there is going to get continue to get better and better as long as that surface is allowed to wear an age. I do think that we're going to, it's going to end up being a barn burner of a, of a place 
but it's going to take some time to get there. The second thing, um, you know, I don't think that there is a whole lot of people. I know he takes a bad rap for a lot of things, and, and maybe I'm a little bit of a homer here just because I'm the hometown guy, but there's not a lot of people that are willing to put themselves out there the same way that Eddie Gossage is. And right or wrong, whether his methods are good, whether his methods are bad, whatever the opinion is, I think it's important that you at least have someone out there that's making noise because at the end of the day, if you're not making noise, you're irrelevant, right? And, you know, for good or bad, uh, some people, it's they have a, they don't have a taste for, for what he does, and that's totally fine. I totally get it. But I also think that it's important to have people that at least make some noise because at least that shows that they care and they're trying their best to to make sure that they can deliver something because they feel the importance of it. And to his credit, I mean, this is a guy, yeah, I don't know if anybody's ever taken the time to look up Eddie's, Eddie's backstory, but man, that guy's definitely come up the ranks. Um, so he's, he's been able to understand it at every level, a lot of what it takes to, to do what he does and to do it well. So, um, so yeah, I mean, good or bad. Uh, is he, is he a little hyper about some things? Absolutely. I'm not going to doubt that. But, you know, I will say that at least he's out there trying. And that's something that not a lot of, of track promoters, track owners, or or, or what have you, uh, track, track general managers, are willing to really do. I think the best the best one out there right now that I really see is, is Chris Blair um, doing some things up at uh, Gateway, which has a really long name that I don't want to go through the list and give a sponsorship plug to but um yeah we don't we probably could get screwed if we go through all the nonsense of their sponsor but yeah chris blair yeah you can go yeah but uh and and i guess just to follow that up though uh coda man um tilt got a bad rap on a lot of tracks but what they did at coda uh wow i mean it's just it's a cool track in a cool town it's, you know, for me, it's a three hour drive south uh, on, on 30, you hit 35, you go south, bam, you're there. And the thing that I've I've loved about it is it doesn't seem to matter what kind of era of Formula One cars going there. Even this ridiculous era that we're in where Mercedes dominance is, is guaranteed. There's always seems to be a scenario playing out where. I, I look back, um, my last race to cover there was was 2018. Uh, the year that, that Kimi Raikkonen, win. yeah, Kimi's last win, holding off for stopping and and Lewis Hamilton, you could throw him under a blanket at the end. And it, what I've loved about that track is it doesn't seem to matter who's good and who's starting at the back and who's starting at the front. The good ones always come to the front and they're always stuck together. And more often than not, I mean, what's it been like eight races now and and in at least half of them if not maybe five or six of them, you've been, it hasn't been an outright winner where you knew lap one, turn one, who's going to, whoever's leading is going to walk away with this thing. There's always some strategy that plays there. And I feel like of all the tracks that are, that are tilt tracks, um, this one's really played to the strengths of, of formula one cars and played to the played a lot into the way of strategy. And for, for whatever reason, it just, it's always fun to see because it's not something that just feels this is going to piss off a lot of people. It doesn't feel like Silverstone. Um, like I, 
I know a lot of people love Silverstones. Uh, I, I got to have elevation change. I got to have I got to have a mix and a blend of a lot of things. And I think Silverstone has a place. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Um, you know, I, I think that that's one of the things that Formula One does well is that a lot of their tracks have some some subtle differences between them. Yeah. Uh, some not so subtle. And it's not a scenario like, uh, well, like NASCAR, where at one point in time we had so many mile and a halfs that it, it became really predictable uh, on a lot of a lot of levels. You know, it's it's not like back in the day where you knew when you went to Atlanta, Bobby Labonte is probably going to be the guy to beat. And yep. if you went to Charlotte, it was Jeff Gordon or Dale Jarrett. And if you if you came to Texas, it was Jeff Burton or some other Roush car. Um, you know, it's not quite like that. Um, so yeah, it's, um, so on that end, it's been, it's been fun. It's been good. And it's really kind of having those two tracks really close. It's been really nice. Uh, I think that there's, there's always things that can be improved, but I think for, for where we are in this point in time, especially with these days with the pandemic yeah. and everything, um, you know, I think the biggest thing is just trying to make sure we can hold on to what we can see things through and hopefully find a way to, this is the part that's, that's the hardest is, is how do you get people engaged to get to the racetrack again? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, and I, I don't have that perfect answer. Uh, Eddie Gossage is searching for that perfect, perfect answer. And, uh, you know, at Coda, you know, they've got things like MotoGP and Formula One, but beyond that, it's track rental, right? It's track days. Yeah. Um, IndyCar was there. They were one and done. Um, NASCAR is going to go play around there. There's a lot of rumors circulating over the future of that place. Yeah. And what, no matter what the rumors are, my big thing is I don't want to see it lost. You know, I, I think there's room for two F1 races in America. Mm-hmm. I think one's at Coda, and I think the other's at Indianapolis. Yeah. If I'm being totally honest, like yeah. as much as it would be cool to have a street race in Miami or Manhattan yeah. or wherever else you want to rumor Vegas, I think at the end of the day, especially with the pandemic, I think it's paramount to make sure that you are guaranteed something with permanent facilities if you're going to travel overseas. Because the money involved to transport all of that cargo, all of that stuff, here's another tangent, uh, <laughs> it's, just astro- it's just astronomical and to... Yeah. to and it could easily put people under uh, in a heartbeat. Uh, promoters that would put on a street race, uh, that'd be it, especially in this day and age if it canceled. So I, I think it's it's paramount now, especially more than ever, that you're going to see, if you see a second F1 race in the States, it's got to be at a permanent facility. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the reality is, I mean, so many great points. I mean, we said it a little bit ago. I mean, this is awesome. Uh, this is, I, I, I don't know about you, Josh, this has been the most fun, one of the most fun episodes we've had because the amount of information you're giving us and the amount of things you're telling us. And this is why, you know, like, um, I hope we're able to do this more because honestly, we're, we're not, we're only scratching the surface, man. And we haven't even, and the, the, the irony is we we haven't even gotten into what we were going to talk about. I mean, we got the origins uh, stuff. And, I mean, for me, I'm a mark for Coda. I got to drive a little sim at the New York Auto Show 
and I couldn't fit my fat ass in the little freaking F1 thing with my legs up. And I was, I mean, that was a very bad day for me because I tried to fit myself into like a TA2 car and I couldn't sit in it because of my belly. And then I couldn't, then the sim, they have the legs up with the way you sit in a Formula One car. And I was going off in the first section with the S's. Um, it was, I love that track and it's the one Tilkey track that actually has character. It's the one Tilkey track that incorporates a lot of the best circuits in the world. People sleep on that place. IndyCar should be there, but then, I mean, we could get into semantics about the way IndyCar deals with certain tracks and how things are when you consider where they are within the whole realm um, as a Pocono Raceway mark. For all the bad that has happened in recent years, IndyCar and Pocono are kind of, they kind of should be together. But that's a separate point. I think maybe if you make a return, hopefully you make a return appearance, Joey, and we can go and talk about tracks and get into some of the other stuff. But I love Coda. Um, it's not just because Lewis is a beast there, but you brought up Kimi Raikkonen winning uh, in 2018, which will end up being his last Formula One win. That was a dramatic, that was a very interesting day. It was an interesting race. It was something that you don't see most weekends. You're not going to see that at Ricard. You're not going to see that at uh, uh, anything in the Middle East, more than likely. I mean, Bahrain is a is kind of like a misnomer now. They put lights on, and all of a sudden, Bahrain has become interesting. And the likelihood that they're going to run the um, Roval and Bahrain again might um uh add to that my my fear is that they're not going to be able to run the u.s grand prix again and i i love coda it's the best circuit i mean for me i was we weren't alive when formula one was here in the 70s like pre when watkins glenn got thrown out the door which fundamentally for me they can run at Watkins Glen. They're full of crap. I don't care. They call it grade one and all this. They run street courses. If you're going to run a street course in the middle of nowhere, you can run Watkins Glen, and it'll be fine. Um, if they ran Watkins Glen, they'd fill the place. It would be a bigger party than what it was in its heyday. Um, and that's me because it's my favorite racetrack in the whole entire world. It's Watkins Glen and Spa for me. But if they ran the U.S. Grand Prix at Watkins Glen and they ran a U.S. Grand Prix South or whatever you want to call it, a Coda, that's fine. I know that more than likely it's going to be Coda in Indianapolis, and that's also good because if they do sign that off, I can figure out which one I want to go to. I've wanted to go back to Indy for many years in my life. I went went there once i want to go back there again probably for may because that's really what matters um but you know i think formula one should be here twice a year uh post pandemic if you can go and make a connection with the canadian grand prix which is one of the best 
temporary circuits that exist, um, which is where NASCAR really should be going, not Coda. You probably should be going to Montreal. Um, but that's another separate issue for another day. That's the thing. I think I, I, I got to say, uh, Joey, before uh, Josh, I'll let you go here in a second. I think you and I, we'd have, we could name it the, the Joey and, and Phil go off on, uh, we could call it the tangent podcast because we just go off on tangents and just lose our mind. But um because we have so much passion and Josh, you have passion about stuff. We haven't even gotten into the football part. I, I, we're going to get into racing and we're going to finish with football because he's going to have to deal with what you and I dealt with for many years in, <laughs> in, in Santa Clara or wherever the hell they have their facilities because Jed York is a, is a Judas, but, um, I mean, the fact is uh, to have some place local, to have something. I mean, for Josh, you have Daytona, which is an which is a a, a mecca of a racetrack. Now, Joey, you have a couple tracks that are within a reasonable range. For me, we had Flemington Speedway; they closed it. We had we had English Town and the stupid morons in town. Both, it's the same thing because it's, you know, government and idiots and, and land. Uh, we lost two great racetracks there. There's other racetracks that are probably going to close or trying to close New Egypt Speedway. Um, you know, the, there there's a couple tracks that are around still, but they're way far out of the way. So I got Pocono. I never got to go to Nazareth, and it was so close to my house. I don't know how I never did. Pocono is the closest. I got Reddit, Watkins Glen, few there's a few, but it, the point you made about going and showing up to the racetrack, it matters so much. And it really matters now in the place that we're at in this pandemic and hopefully once, you know, vaccinations, all that, which we don't try to talk politics. We had to a couple of weeks ago, but if people vaccinate it actually is better for the possibility to get back to normal and really enjoy the life that we want to live to go and fill up Pocono raceway for the NASCAR doubleheader to try to sell to the family, the, the Mattiolis and the Igadalskis that you should bring IndyCar back because they need ovals in the worst way. Um, because Indy cars look great on super speedways. And if you put a little more cash into that race, you could possibly get some one-offs so that you actually have a race. Um, I mean, that's, uh, we need to get to that point. Uh, you brought up a lot there. Uh, Josh, I'm going to throw to you before we get into the, um, next part of the show. No, I mean, I, I agree with you on all of that. Like, um, I mean, for me, like the closest track to me is Daytona, but you know, there's also Homestead, um, which is another track I think IndyCar should go back to. And, um, you can also go to St. Pete and Sebring, um, and then on the short track, uh, side of deal, you know, we can go to, um, Five Flags or, um, any other stuff. I mean, you know, down in Florida, you know, we have a lot of great tracks too. So, um, I, you know, I, definitely love the part about you know growing up 
near Texas Motor Speedway and you know, having the ability to experience that. You know, we we uh, on this podcast have a little bit of different opinion about that place, but you know, the um, it has had good racing in the past, and and hopefully in, as it ages on, it'll uh, have better racing and um, you know also the ability to to go to Coda and um, just experience the uh, different type of racing there. Um, you know, that's definitely a, a great uh, place to go uh, watch a event at, whether it's IndyCar, uh, um, NASCAR, or even uh, Formula One. And, you know, hopefully we do have uh, more than one USGP. Um, you know, to me, it doesn't matter if it's at Miami or um, Indianapolis, but I, I will say that, you know, in Indianapolis is um, probably better suited because it's already hosted Formula One. So, think it's uh, better if they end up having another Formula One race here in America that it be there. But, uh, you know, I think um, for me, I think uh, it's time to get into the IndyCar stuff and uh, the sports car stuff as well. Yeah. And that, yeah. And that's going to lead into the next part, which is also a uh, main reason why uh, Joe, you're on, uh, one of your compatriots, the great Dave Malsher, uh, David Malsher Lopez, uh, he on motorsport.com going and covering the testing at uh, Sebring uh, here uh, goes over basically an Andretti benefit uh, here yesterday. Alexander Rossi, who has been one of the best drivers in this series a guy that probably should be in formula one um he did everything he should have done and he was in a formula one car and he ran the u.s grand prix and everything but hey his his the formula one's loss is uh u.s and indycar's gain because he won the indianapolis 500 and he's got napa which means he's probably never going to lose his job which he probably shouldn't because he's really good and he's a funny guy. Um, Colton Herta, uh, who has the Gainbridge sponsorship, so they're sponsoring somebody who has a future. Um, and, uh, you know, you got Jack Harvey, the great Ryan, the Captain America. Um, he still has a job. Ryan Hunter Ray with the, all of his kids and Becky, they all look like they would be in a photo. Uh, thing at J.C. Penny, Graham Rehall uh, finished the top five there on uh, yesterday's testing. Uh, you have Chilton, Kellett, Sato, and uh, Marco Andretti, of course, who announced that he's going to um, run a limited schedule. Oh, the um, humanity! Yeah, um, it's I could go off on a rant or whatever about Marco. It's whatever. I I, I want to keep it classy um, because Joey's on here. Um, I would probably say more about Marco um, because I'm one of the thousands of people that he blocked at some point in his illustrious career. It's way more blocks than he's made passes. But um Anyways, I want to give it to you first, Joey, and I'm going to throw I don't know how I did that, but um, but I guess it's um, technical difficulties there. I was going I was going off on a little thing going to Baba um, because I love Lee Diffie saying any words um, in Jeff general. Um, 
I was talking about how uh, to you, Joey, what what should we we be looking for going into this season? Because we're two months away, so we're not even anywhere close. I mean, we're getting in a Rolex here shortly, but we're nowhere close. But what do we take away from this testing um, and some of the numbers we've seen, some of the, the speeds and times? And uh, what should we expect as there is a couple, I think maybe one or two more tests uh, upcoming as we go on post Rolex 24 uh, for this season? Yeah, so, um, you know, testing is always tough to to take a whole lot out of. But I think kind of just looking down on on the recent rundown, you know, I'm really intrigued with the the Rossi Herta dynamic over at Andretti Autosport. Um, obviously, one two um, in the recent test, and I, I just and obviously Honda as a whole um, super strong with uh, even Jack Harvey kind of getting in the mix there. So, uh, you know, for me, uh, I think the biggest thing that I'm kind of looking at, and this is one of the weirder subtle things to look at, but surprisingly, one of the things that stands out to me is the fact that Dalton Kellett is not really uh, too far back from a lot of people. Um, and, and that's, I'm not trying to, to be a smart ass or to be funny or anything like that, but, you know, he didn't have a ton of opportunities to test or do anything coming into, um, coming into last season. So his only chance to do anything was at the track and very limited opportunities. So, this is giving him a chance to kind of come in and, and get his feet wet after a, a relatively uh, partial campaign there. So he comes in and what is he like half looking at the start about half a second back from from Rossi. So that's respectable uh, in comparison. And he's and he's within a tenth of Sato. So about a tenth and a half of Sato. So it's respectable that an AJ Foyt racing car um, that Kellett's driving is right there in range in testing. But that said, I mean, I don't take a ton from, uh, I don't take a ton from, from testing too much. I like seeing Jimmy Johnson get some laps. Uh, I think that Scott Dixon's time the other day was just astronomically sick and disgusting and just continued excellence uh, in the sport. And I mean, disgusting in a good way because my goodness, but, uh, I mean, I think this really just kind of caters to some of the storylines, really. I mean, Rossi went winless last year, and and that was something that was really not anticipated. And and when you really kind of look at things like that, uh, Colton Herta took a really big step up. And I think that, you know, I've been I said this to to a few colleagues is is, you know, we saw kind of the passing of the torch between Rossi and Hunter Ray. As, as a couple of the years wore on, where does that dynamic right now with, with Rossi and Herta? I, I think it's still harmonious, and I don't think it's going to be Formula One-esque where it's, you know, lead driver must beat everybody else. Um, you know, everybody else caters to, you know, this isn't Bodas catering to Hamilton, but uh, on, a, on, a, on a pit in and out strategy. But, um, you know, this is... I think it's going to be a continued dynamic to play out throughout the year. I, I'm ex- I'm excited to see what Jack Harvey can do. Ironically, uh, this I think Shank Racing also had a new investor of the Liberty kind, 
Um, so I'm kind of interested to see how, how much that helps them and bolsters them. And, you know, I actually talked to Graham Rahal uh, about a month ago now, just before Christmas. Um, and one thing that he had talked about was the fact that how strong he started 2020 for him uh, coming out of the gate probably should have won the GP uh, during the 4th of July weekend. If, if a caution doesn't fall a certain way, you know, it's going to still be to the wire, but maybe he's at the other end of that and Dixon second, things like that. And there was just a little bit of fall off after that break, after that kind of weird summer break that we ended up with. So, um, you know, it's, it's really intriguing to see if they can continue to step things up. Uh, he's continued to grow year over year. And I think, and this is funny because we kind of joked about this on the phone was how, how often do we see guys like Kyle Bush and, and other drivers, they're like right there on the cusp. And then for whatever reason, whenever they have a family, something changes. I don't know if it's a responsibility and maturity, what have you, just something in your life changes Sometimes you can't put a finger on it, but you just, you increasingly find that edge to, you know, get to that next level, to become that championship caliber guy, to get, to win certain races. And, you know, it's going to be very intriguing to see if Graham kind of follows suit to that. And if he does, he's going to break his, his little drought that, that right now is a couple years running or more than a couple, but you know, um, because look, he's been right there on the cusp of wins and, and Sato's kind of got the better end of that. The Indy 500 certainly speaks to that, but I mean, look, Graham was right there in the catbird seat for the 500, uh, a year ago. And it was the second to the last stint. He called for, for a little bit of a different change and it was the wrong one, but he had, he had passed Dixon, he'd passed Sato and, and he was right there in the, in the thick of it. And I'm very intrigued to see if it's going to be a similar story, this 500. So things like that, uh, obviously Penske is going to be Penske. They're always going to be tough to beat. Uh, do we see arrow really make gains with, um, <clears throat> with, with Pato? And I think Pato is going to be a stud in, in year two. Uh, I'm really excited to see what, what the next step is for him. I think Felix is going to be tough, but how quickly can he get acclimated with the program that, that Taylor Kyle is now leading overall, not just, in one area as that was uh, newly announced. So, um, you know, I think, I think that's one aspect. And I think, you know, do we see Connor Daly and Renus VK really help elevate at Carpenter racing? I mean, these are very similar storylines to that we've seen over the years, but you know, I mean, Renus, he's really raw, but we've, a lot of us have said, even though he's super raw, when he really gets a handle on things and gets some, some experience under his belt, he's going to be tough to deal with because, He's going to throw it in a corner. He's going to throw it in a corner very similar to Sato. Um, you know, it's, it's, is, it, is it reckless to some people? Yeah, but hey, I mean, what's what's racing? It's going into a corner and seeing who lifts. And, and certainly, Renus is not afraid on that end. So, um, it's just there's so many different variables and so many different things in play. You know, how quickly can Jimmy Johnson get acclimated? Will Seb, um, will Sebastian Bourdais get a chance to, to bring – AJ Foyt uh, back to victory lane, you know, can he, can he raise that program to a different level than maybe what we saw Tony can on raise it. And because, I mean, I mean, gosh, we've seen Bourdais be the Goliath slayer on so many levels, right? I mean, just with, with what he did at KV and what he's done in the past. And I think every, every single person that follows IndyCar knows uh, he had a piece 
uh, at, at Indy a couple years ago when he had that bad crash in qualifying. He had a piece that was gonna gonna definitely threaten for win uh, that that year. Um, unfortunately, he had the crash. Dave, James Davison comes in with a road course car, makes a story out of it, and now is driving a whole bunch of different things and in the partnership with bird racing. So, and all of it stemmed from that race. So there's so many different storylines, so many different things. Testing to me is nothing more than logging laps. Uh, it doesn't give us a whole lot of stories to tell, but I, I do think that, uh, I do think certainly that this, this next handful of months is definitely going to dictate a lot of what's going to happen. Um, uh, for the next couple of years, because I, I, I'm very intrigued to see how the dynamic of some of these teams play out. You know, what happens with Power, Pagano, New Garden, McLaughlin, my goodness, how did I, how did I almost miss that? I mean, my goodness, what a talent. I mean, I saw him come in for a Texas test and I, I watched him get acclimated and get up to speed quickly. And he's going to be a handful for a lot of people. Like anybody that's an IndyCar that that's a driver that's sleeping on him, it's it's going to be lights out because I'll tell you what, how it's so easy to go from a heavier car. I say it's so easy like I'm a driver, but historic historically it's shown that going from a heavier car to a to a smaller version like an Indy car. You, you're Dario. Have, yeah, you're bound to have better success than going the other way around. So, you know, I, I think the one that's really transcended that obviously is Tony Stewart, but um, just really making it himself into a Juan Montoya-esque kind of guy that can drive anything uh, or the other way around, really. But uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see what McLaughlin brings to the table. I definitely think that he's a guy that can go out there and challenge for the championship in year one. I I think he's that talented, and I think that Penske is going to give him absolutely every resource he needs. And I think it's going to be an interesting dynamic between him and and Newgarden and everybody else because, as we saw, when – the season you talk about Formula One dynamics, and we joke about Hamilton and and uh, Botas, but that's a dynamic that kind of played to the to the Lewis Hamilton Nico Rosberg scenario, where by the end of the season, as the season wore on, you started to see a little bit of drama play out. You started to see a little bit of this isn't your team, this is my team, or this isn't you know this is me taking the reins because I need this championship, and and everybody was fighting it for themselves. And stepping on each other. And that's not a very Pinsky thing, but it's a very competitive, it's a very racing thing. And it comes naturally. And I'm kind of interested to see if some of these dynamics are going to play out. It's chaos. And I mean, frankly, it, it's raw and it's chaos. And that's what works, right? That's racing. Yeah, this this is part of uh, the passion motorsports and all the storylines and I mean, it's it's just crazy how everything's worked out. I mean, you're you're going over a bunch of things. Me as me as a Lewis Hamilton guy, Scotty McLaughlin guy, going back to before he got hired by Penske, the notion that William might have lost his job, or even Simon could have been in in peril uh, makes that whole Penske thing uh, I mean whether the captain wants to run four cars past this year is part of it 
Um, they have money to run four cars. Unfortunately, um, the dancing fool, um, after 20 years, uh, wasn't able to maintain his employment, even though he won the IMSA championship, Elio Castro dash Neves, but he will be running for Meyer shank. Um, and it's something that I, I figure that William is not going to be there for a couple of reasons. I mean, if Verizon wants to sponsor somebody, you want to run somebody that has a long-term uh, scenario. William, whether it's here in, here in America and in, in IMSA or in uh, the sports car side or even supercars, I'm sure even though there really isn't a, any manufacturer involvement anymore in the supercar championship, I think willpower going back to Australia would be a huge get because of his personality, the way he is, the way he drives. It would be it would be the biggest get that that series has had in a very long time. They could go and recover because this is a transitional year, more than likely in the Supercars Championship. I think SVG or Win Cup is likely to win the championship because hold even though Holden doesn't quote Holden doesn't exist because I had to do the air quotes on the video call. Um, they they're they're the biggest team. Uh, DJR is resetting um, as a team, but they have uh, Anton Di Pasquale as a driver. Uh, and then um, uh, Will Davison, I think, is the um, other driver. Uh, he got he lost his ride with Tickford. Tickford's in a transition, so Ford isn't in a strong spot, which means that the Red Bull team is likely to win the championship. So which one is it going to be? Win Cup, who's like the Jimmy Johnson of the supercars championship the way that Craig Lowndes was the Jeff Gordon uh, of the supercars championship to where, you know, you think about the great Peter Brock, the legend, uh, Peter Perfect to Dale Earnhardt. It all connects. Um, yeah, there was, there was a lot there. And um, we will finish there's two things we'll finish with um uh, we hope uh you'll come back joey for because this has been awesome um i hope that we can make this more regular because you got so much so much to passion here and so much info that it's like it's like the sound bites with like fred norris i wish i had fred norris's like soundboard when you go and come up with all your content, because I'd be just be doing drops. I'd be doing drops like the Stern Show right now with everything you're you're talking. Like it'd be mind blown or all the things, or probably some other things that might be a little more questionable. But since you're a freelancer, it probably wouldn't be as big of a deal if uh, if you had a, a job with like the. I mean, you probably should be at the AP, but that I'm not going to get into that. But um. You know, in terms of we'll we'll transition to Rolex. I mean, this Rolex 24 is 
um, one of the more in, interesting Rolexes in a while. Uh, you have the Cadillac camp, you have the wheel and engineering car, which has a very strong driver lineup, and then Clyde, um, who will get all the credit if they win, uh, the way that Jeff Gordon got all the credit for winning the Rolex, even though he didn't do jack crap a couple of years ago with uh, Wayne Taylor racing. Um, and then you have cheap Ganassi with a Cadillac with a, with Kevin Magnuson, who's angry with Renger Vanderzanda, who's one of the best, one of the most underrated drivers in this country. He's a salary. He's one of the best drivers period. Um, and then you have some guy named Scott Dixon, who's a freak of nature. And there are three driver lineup. Um, to me, Personally, I think the cheap Ganassi car, they're in their debut race, but then they have the prime engine car combination for Daytona. I feel like they're the favorite, but you you have the Wayne Taylor team who's won all these races, all these Rolexes recently, and now they're in the Honda camp, the Acura camp. Of course, Ricky comes back home to drive for dad um and they have a strong driver lineup of course there you have michael shank with uh meyer shank racing of course uh jim meyer retired quote i'm gonna do the air quotes on the camera air quote retired from <laughs> uh sirius xm i'm sure there was other help in regards to Jim Myers retirement, but, um, he has a lot of money and, um, it's helping Jack Harvey, as you mentioned, but also it's going to help, uh, this prototype program, which has the great Dean Cameron, um, at the helm. Um, there's, there's a lot of intriguing stories. Mazda only has the one car Multimatic. They only have the one prototype this year. Uh, I mean, to me, I, I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw to you first, Joey, in terms of what you're looking at, because GTLM, I'm not really keen on, I mean, GTD and the LMP3 category is a lot more intriguing prospects because of the kind of driving talent and a lot of, there's a lot of cars. Um, it was something that you said earlier in regards to where you're at. It, to me, I was looking at your your talent relative to where you are. You're like an open team at the Daytona 500. You're still trying to go and qualify for the race, and you're probably going to qualify on time. Whether it's the front row or not, whatever, you're going to qualify on time, but you're still waiting on whether you're going to get there. That's what I feel like you're at in terms of your talent and your ability relative to where things are but i also look at this rolex 24 throwing to you as wide open more wide open in recent years even though it's a 24-hour sprint race now i remember the days when the late john paul jr with um, god bless his soul went and drove the momo nissan and he carried it on his back him and Derek bell carried it on their backs in 93 and almost beat the 
the AAR Toyota um, team and also the Jaguar, the Walkinshaw Jaguar team, the Bud Light Jaguar team in 1993, that's a totally different time than where we are now for sure. Yeah, so I'm just one. I'm not. I'm never going to sit here and, and and tell anybody that I'm some uh, sports car guru that I'm that I, I'm really in depth in it on the level that I am with with some other racing disciplines. But I have a great respect for it. I've I've done a few races. Uh, covered covered a handful of races. I'm not going to pretend I've I've gone out there and and done what say John Daggies or some other guys have done and and made it their life. But uh, this race definitely always one I pay attention to, and one of the things that really kind of strikes me is the fact that you know usually you see newly formed teams come in and there's always growing pains, right? Like we even saw that with the Acura Penske program. Uh, whenever they came in, even though they were fast, there are always going to be these little mechanical hiccups or always these these small hiccups that come in, and they had a dream team lineup. And now they're kind of spread across uh, all of DPI, really. But um, so that having said that, if any team can go through this process and not have those kind of setbacks, it's Cadillac, Jip Ganassi, right? Like the, that union together. And you've got Kevin Magnuson, Ringer Van, Van Der Zand, Scott Dixon. Like, my goodness, what a lineup. Having said that, though, the team that intrigues me the most – is the number 60 Meyer Schenck Racing Acura with Dane Cameron, Olivier Pla, Juan Pablo Montoya, and AJ Allmendinger. Like I think that I think that lineup is lethal. It's one of only what three four-car lineups. So a four-driver lineups, not four car. So I'm interested to see how that goes. I do think Action Express could be interesting with Jimmy Johnson and Kobayashi and Pagano and Rockenfeller. I mean, it's just these lineups are loaded. I mean, there's no other way to say it. I mean, you look at it and it's it's a race of champions, really. I mean, but we kind of know what Wayne Taylor Racing bring to the table, having having been through this race. Obviously, Action Express, always quick. Um, you know, so I think really it's telling, like, how quick does Chip Ganassi Racing get up to speed? How quickly does Kevin Magnuson make this transition from an open-wheel Formula One car into a DPI. I mean, we, we've seen it before with uh, Felipe Nasser coming in and doing some things. So can, if he can come in, and I think all of us could probably rate Magnuson a little bit higher on the talent scale than a Nasser. No disrespect to Nasser. Um, although if I'm a driver, I probably feel disrespected if I just got rated under somebody. But, uh, you know, for me, it's that, and it's and it's the Meyer Shank Racing uh, group because I their relationship is definitely good, but um, with that manufacturer has been, they've, they've really grown together and I'm really interested to see now that he's kind of moving into a really, a serious IndyCar owner. I mean, being a part-time guy is one thing, but you've come in and you've kind of made it a, a, a choice to, to keep this thing running and there's continuity there and you're becoming a serious threat with Jack Harvey to kind of go in and, and, take some podiums, maybe challenge for a win, do some things. So the attention's there, but it's also here because this program is being elevated. So especially knowing his his humble beginnings and to kind of see how things are, I'm excited for him. I'm excited for for that team and, and what they've been able to do in such a short amount of time. 
But um, and that one certainly, man, that that could be a lot of fun. But I think them and Chip Ganassi have very similar situations where if they can get the growing pains out at the roar before 24, you can kind of figure out a, a proper system. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to see what happens. And I think a four car lineup or four driver lineup is the way to go for this race too, because I mean, we see constantly this race just continues to to get faster and faster. Just more laps continue to be run year over year, and and they keep improving on that. So I very much think that being able to have kind of a healthy amount of stints and to make sure that your drivers can stay fresh. Um, although nobody ever wants to get out of a car, I do think obviously with this race, fatigue is a huge thing. Um, it's literally the name of the race. So I, I think a four, four driver lineup is definitely the way to go there. And, and I really think those are the two most critical, critical teams to watch because if they get it together, I think they're going to be able to do something. But, uh, having said that, um, you know, Vassar Sullivan, I mean, I feel like every day that I, I go to social media, I'm, I'm seeing a new announcement of a driver going to Vassar Sullivan here lately. Um, I'm kind of intrigued to see what they're able to do. Uh, can they really come off the heels of what they did last year with the success they had with Tealitz and Hawksworth? And can they can they turn that into something at Daytona? So um, can they can they start this year off on the right foot? Um, now that we've kind of figured out how certain things are during the pandemic and kind of know how things are going to be, I don't think we got to worry about too many things being situated differently. I don't think we have to worry about racing well into Thanksgiving. So, you know, the endurance cup that they go for, you know, the championships, there are multiple championships that kind of play into the fact of things. I think that that's, it's certainly going to cater to them, but you wonder how that team is going to, going to flow with some new drivers, very experienced drivers and a few of them, but also very raw, very new drivers uh, coming into play that are ultra talented. But um, so, yeah, those are kind of a few things. I think GT Lamas is going to be a really good battle. I think GT Daytona is going to be a very, very challenging battle. Um, there's so many cars there's so many drivers. I have 20 cars. So it's, uh, I mean, that's, that's a good chunk of what is it? 50 entries. I think it is for the, for the Rolex 24 or something like that. So, the fact that 20 of them are made up in, in one category is uh, speaks volumes to, to that category. So it's it's going to be interesting how it's going to play out. And those are kind of the few things that I'm kind of following uh, in the very little sports car knowledge I have. There's many, many, many others that dwarf me. But for my, my novice sports car stuff, that's kind of what I think. Well, well, there you go. Look at Skype working for me. It's working against me here the last uh, few minutes. But, I mean, all your insight connected to IndyCar, uh, Joey, is, is is worthwhile connecting to those teams that are in the IndyCar paddock but are also in the IMSA paddock. And the point you brought up about Cheap Ganassi um, I say that because the great Alex and already called them cheap. I mean, it, it also probably goes with other things with him, but cheap, um, you know, and that team and Kevin Magnuson to me is the wild card 
it's his career trajectory is just like his father who has made a legendary career here in the states after kind of getting run out of formula one the whole platform it's it's crazy to think that i remember kevin magnuson or i mean jan magnuson when he drove dtm with dario franchiti and when he drove formula one and now his son is doing the same freaking thing and he's going to be in sports cars um it may not come off this next couple of weeks, but I feel like the Chip Ganassi generally doesn't hire dead weight, generally. Um, to hire um, Kevin Magnuson, Renger, Vanderzanda, that's a combination in those sprint races that's going to be deadly. Um and it's going to be a long, it may not be immediate, but the long-term return on this combination is going to be very good. And Chip Ganassi is somebody that's able to figure that out. Um, Meyer Shank Racing, uh, Jim Meyer has a lot of money to throw around. Uh, also, Liberty has a lot of money to run, throw around, and they put their money with a guy in Michael Shank who raced Toyota Atlantic's uh, in his day, kind of like, you know, um, Zach Brown, he had a career and he was all right. I remember in my early days of watching racing, Zach Brown, uh, was a guy, but he wasn't elite, but he, he uses education. He uses skills to become this mogul. Um, and now he has one of the greatest car collections that exists in the world. And he works for Mc- and he runs McLaren. So Michael Shank is he could be in the in the mold of uh, becoming a mogul just the same way. Um, you brought up Michael Andretti uh, a while ago as a Michael Andretti um, guy when I was a fan, when I was younger too. It, it all makes sense. And Michael Andretti's a mogul. He's involved in so many types of motorsports and he lives in a house right next to his his legendary father and the the house next to him is marco's so i mean in nazareth pennsylvania and and it kind of shows where things go in regards to life uh josh i'll throw to you um early thoughts on what you look for this weekend because there's a qualifying race there's different things they're doing this weekend than any other Rolex 24. Uh, the roar will have a hundred minute, uh, qualifying race basically for the Rolex. Um, there's going to be a, uh, team Hardpoint will have Christina Nielsen and Catherine leg. So it'll be a Porsche in GTD. Um, there's definitely a lot going on here for the Rolex before we actually have the actual Rolex 24. Yeah, it's going to be interesting with how the new qualifying format for this race is going to play out with a 100-lap sprint race, essentially a warm-up race preluding the week before the actual uh, Rolex 24. Um, there is going to be you know a lot of uh, factors to play out into that because you know it's not going to be just 
qualifying laps um, for, you know, like a two or uh, four laps or whatever. It's going to be a 100-lap sprint race, and you're going to have to put on uh, qualifying laps for the whole thing and be interested to see, like, how the strategies play out uh, for that, whether, you know, the teams decide to go all out or if uh, they you know, decide to um, maybe go a little bit conservative and try to save uh, some uh, for uh, the last part of that race and um, everything. And, um, you know, I'll be curious, uh, the DPI class, you know, that's obviously going to be the uh, the head of the field, um, you know, who's going to come out on top in qualifying, whether that's Ganassi uh, with uh, Magnuson, um, in that car, or, um, you know, Chase Elliott in the, uh, wheel and car, or, you know, even like somebody like Simon Pagino and, uh, Mike Rockefeller and Jimmy Johnson in the ally car. And, um, you know, even, I think the, um, really, really good lineup with, um, Almendinger and Montoya and, uh, the Meyer Shank injury there. Um, I think that's obviously going to be a big point of focus and, you know, who ends up winning the, the poll there, but, you know, also, um, in the other classes like, um, LMP2, you know, like teams like Dragon Speed, um, uh, Rick Ware racing, you know, as much as we like to poke fun at them like you know how, how are they going to do in and lmp2 and um in qualifying in that race and you know G, gtlm uh, another class um you know we still have uh ray hall letterman with uh bmw um and you know their entries and corvette racing um you know i'm being interested to see what um you know what they're able to do if um you know they end up taking i guess the pole per se in their class um but even in the the race itself you know like talk about like the uh celebrity entries like jimmy johnson and chase elliott um and austin dillon being in the rick ware uh car there like how, how are they gonna adapt to the 24-hour race um you know how many stints will each of those drivers have um do they you know, do the teams trust them enough you know they're primarily oval racing guys going into a road race um uh, event like how how are they going to um, adapt uh, to the you know the being around cars that have uh, different um, speeds you know the the different classes and being able to maneuver around that traffic you know will the uh, teams trust them enough to do like a, a double stint or even like a triple stint uh, or something like that and you know just having the the endurance uh, to uh, get through all of that and you know even like the uh race being a sprint now more than an endurance race so well, um that's the case now you know with uh, the uh new technology and everything with um you know before it was more of making the car last all 24 hours well you know now it's um they, they built the car to last 24 hours and um now it's just the ability to um put out as much of a lead as you can and just you know be able to um just make it all the way to the end and and uh now you're putting down like 700 qualifying laps essentially it's kind of how it's turned turn out to so i think um you know from that end um it's going to be definitely an interesting race and um you know i think with uh, all of those you know all-star entries it's uh maybe put a little bit more focus into the race uh than maybe in years past but um definitely going to be an exciting one for sure um 
not sure yet. Like in years past, I've been able to pull, I don't want to say an all-nighter, but I've definitely stayed up well into the night paying attention to the race. And I don't know if I'll do that this year, but um, I'll definitely be uh, paying attention to that one for sure. You know, you, you kind of brought up a name, Josh, that uh, I was actually about to, about to throw out there just because on the, on the first little, little tidbit uh, that I went on, but how about Jimmy Johnson and Chase Elliott? I mean, Jimmy Johnson, obviously, he's going to be become a guy that wants to to really have a taste of a bunch of different things. Um, and I, I love that, that. I mean, that's that's what racers do. Right. They want to diversify themselves. They want to they don't want to just kind of cater to one brand. They want to try to, you know, be a Mario Andretti and AJ Foy to throw back to an era of, of the past and, and delve a lot into a bunch of different things. And I, I definitely appreciate that. And I think that that's only good for racing. So I'm excited to see. How, how Jimmy is with, with the with the Action Express group. That said, uh, I'm actually more interested to see Chase because this is a guy that, you know, in the NASCAR world, what does he have, like six or seven road course wins in a row? Just something astronomical. Uh, hasn't been beaten in like two years, three years. So, um, you know, I'm kind of interested to see how that car fuel transitions to a DPI. You know, does he come in, you're sitting a little bit lower, car's a little bit, sleeker a little bit longer i couldn't begin to tell you if it's a little bit wider but you know the way that you kind of mold yourself to a stock car mold yourself to any car the way that you kind of feel every little point so you know everything around you and how your presence is how your car presence is on the track does that how much does that change with him and does that play a role into the the rolex um i i do think that he's going to have a monster night uh, no pun intended on all that nascar jargon but uh you know i do think that he is definitely a guy that when you look at all these lineups it's quick to overlook him but i certainly think that his credentials still speak volumes because as much flack as as nascar could get for their mile and a half uh spectacle or show or whatever you want to call it what they do on the road course uh is definitely throwing a car around so and I think as far as being able to adapt and being able to learn on that, I think he's one of the more natural ones. And he's given himself a chance to kind of pull a Jimmy Johnson during his NASCAR career, going to the Chili Bowl, doing this. He still does some late model racing, uh, so, um, you know, short track racing. So it's it's cool to see that. It's cool to finally see that happen. And I, I know that a big reason why it doesn't happen more often is because sponsors want to, you know, hold on to their interests. Like we're paying you to be – a guy to go after the NASCAR championship. We we don't pay you to go play in other sandboxes, but if they could back this driver, if they could back more drivers, these companies that want to attach themselves to kind of attack this championship, sure. But if you have interest, go play. And, and it makes sense and doesn't come at the cost of this, go play. Because your attachment to that brand is only going to continue to elevate across multiple platforms, which isn't that the whole point of sponsoring a guy anyway? So um that said more stuff like what chase is doing i do think he's going to be a guy to watch um on on rolex saturday so it'll be i think it's going to be fun i think he's going to surprise some people i don't know if he's going to have enough to uh to pull out a a to, to literally get a rolex but um certainly i think he's going to be one to watch uh during his stint runs for sure yeah i mean there's definitely a whole lot to go over uh 
Clyde going and jumping in one of the best uh, DPIs in the field. Uh, he's become the um, road course king of sorts. Um, as long as he doesn't break Tony's record for wins on road courses, even though there's five or however many races they're going to have on road courses this year, um, I'm okay. But I kind of find how the schedule's gone uh, and angled itself out to where they're trying to fit to their uh, most popular drivers' um, characteristics. There's an irony in all that, and that um, his dad wasn't really a great road racer, even though his first win was on a road course, and he won the Rolex in class uh, himself uh, in a, what is GTS or whatever they called it back in the day for Roush, uh, because they're the Ford team. Um, Clyde being the GM guy that he has become, uh, jumping in a car with Pippo Durrani and Felipe Nazar. Uh, I mean, it would be easy for him to go and take the credit. They'll give him all the credit, even though I don't have anything to do with him. Uh, if he can go out there and win uh, Rolex 24, it would make me kind of ill as a Tony Stewart guy. Um, when he's had to drive on two wheels because of June bug. Um, but we will see. It's going to be a very tough uh, Rolex 24. I mean, it's a very narrow, tight uh, seven-car field in the DPI category. The LMP2 category is very deep with uh, teams that are coming from Europe uh, that run in the WEC that are going to be running in this uh, race. The Dragon Speed car, there are going to be two Dragon Speed cars. Um, Elton Julian, who was a guy that could have run in Formula One in his day, uh, never got the shot. Unfortunately, he runs a great organization and he hires great drivers. PR1 Matheson which is a really tough team. They've been out there, Aero Motorsport. Um, uh, they, they're, uh, they're run very, very well. Uh, so it's going to be a class. That's a class that will be uh, tough to determine. Uh, we will do a more deeper dive next week in the um, next episode of the GSP episode, uh, Mr. The King, uh, number 43. Uh, we will go into the whole entire field, what we think is going to happen. Uh, LMP3, which will be new uh, for this race. Um, you know, Andretti will have a car. Um, I don't see it on here, but I know that... Um, Adam Andretti is supposed to run LMP3 and that Marco wants to run with his cousin. So Marco Andretti in a sports car um, for as much crap as I give him for his driving in an Indy car, Marco Andretti in a sports car is pretty sick. Um, it would be interesting to see when he doesn't really have any fear and um, is loose what he can do. Um, Core Autosport with um, Colin Braun and John Bennett, they win no matter what class they're in. 
So LMP3 over the full season is going to be tough to beat those guys. But um, GTLM's very narrow class, same way as DPI. The GTD class is going to be ridiculous. Um, absolutely ridiculous. Uh, the Lamborghinis are very competitive at Daytona. Vassar Sullivan uh, did great work last year. The Plaid, the, um, the uh, what's his name, Rutledge Wood uh, Porsche, the FAF Motorsports Porsche, um, one of the better teams. They're here. They're Porsches. You can't go and bet against a Porsche at Daytona or in any um, endurance race. Uh, so there's a lot to get into. Um, we will deep dive into the Rolex 24 next week. Um, but we're going to end tonight uh, as... As a as as a show, as we we go over multiple things here, and um, I'm going to throw to Josh. I haven't thrown to Josh because bad hosting on my part. But um, thoughts on, of course, you got the great Urban Meyer when he doesn't have quote health issues. I have to do air quote health issues um, as your head coach, but you hired. Trent Balky as your GM, he was in the organization. So I wonder what the cons, um, he may have conned the cons uh, to get into the organization. So now he's a GM. So what do you think of uh, Trent Balky as your uh, GM? Before I throw to Joey and before I give my thoughts before we end the show. Yeah, so for me, like, I mean, I'm obviously excited for the Urban Meyer hire. Um, I think it's obviously a great hire. Um, you know, the candidates besides him um, on the coaching spectrum were really not all that great, to be quite honest. Um, I mean, it's all just seemed like retread hires and, and whatnot, and just, you know, the run, typical run-of-the-mill NFL uh, coaching hires um, that were out there. But, you know, Urban Meyer is the one guy on there that looks like a difference maker, and, and um, he's definitely been a uh, winner at the college level, you know, with uh, the Florida Gators. Um and at Ohio State, and even you know, going back to Utah when uh, and uh, the other schools he was at, uh, developing you know QBs like Alex Smith and all that. So I'm definitely excited, and um, it's all, all but a foregone conclusion that they're going to pick up Trevor Lawrence at number one uh, in the draft in April. So um, excited to see uh, what he's able to do with uh, Trevor Lawrence there. But for the Trent Baalke hire, like you know, he's already in the organization as a assistant general manager. But I don't really know like what his like role was and everything. And you're not really um, transparent on like oh like what what exactly or you know what did he do um, during his time this year as the general manager. But you know you guys say that oh the Jaguars you know they went and hired uh, Trent Baalke there. But I mean this is really an Urban Meyer hire, not really a you know I mean obviously the Jaguars formally hire him, but like. Uh, you know, Ur Urban Meyer's, you know, probably not as ex excited to take the job if uh, he's forced the guy that was kind of already there with as an interim GM. Um, 
I think the Jaguars made it clear that they're going to a coach-centric model, which they did uh, in 2020 with uh, Doug Marone. Uh, kind of uh, calling the shots um, as uh, the coach and de- dictating to uh, uh, Dave Caldwell what he wanted uh, at, for the team. And I think that's what Urban Meyer is going to do here. He's going to tell um, uh, Trent Baalke what, what he wants uh, uh, for his organization, what uh, type of players he wants to, to fit his mold, um, you know, to, the scheme that he wants and to run and and which players he thinks fits uh, fits that scheme and you know players that um, are obviously really good regardless of what type of uh, scheme offensively or defensively that they play in. So you know I think Urban Meyer um, is going to be able to you know communicate with uh, Trent Baalke on that and um, you know help come to those kinds of decisions. Um, and you know this is more of Urban Meyer like right-hand man rather than Trent Baalke's uh, right-hand man being Urban Meyer. So I think it, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not like, you know, overly excited about the hire. It's not nothing to, you know, jump over with joy about, but I mean, you know, for Meyer, like definitely um, he'll get some help uh, with, you know, the scouting process and maybe some of the, um, you know, free agency process and acquiring players and, and all that stuff. And, you know, that's, Definitely one thing that uh, Balky has experience in. Um, so we'll see what happens. I mean, obviously, I know that Balky doesn't have a, a good track record as a, a GM. You know, they had the the somewhat good years with uh, Harbaugh being the the coach, and then everything kind of fell off from there. And there's been some bad reviews about him. But uh, we'll see how it goes. I mean, if if uh, it doesn't turn out to be good and there's friction between Meyer and Balky, then maybe, you know, they, they cut bait after one season. Um, you know, we've seen teams do that in the past where they hire the uh, coach and they keep on the same general manager. And then a year or two later, the GM goes away and then the coach gets the guy that he really wants. So we'll see how it goes. Um, um, definitely going to be interesting to see how it plays out um, and uh, the uh, as as Meyer kind of fits the or you know hires all the coaches for the team. Um, we'll see what kind of offensive scheme that they want to run and what kind of defensive scheme they want to run. And uh, I think hopefully they go away from the cover three uh, four three Seattle defense um, that they had um, in the past uh, seven or eight seasons with Gus Bradley and Todd Wash. Uh, so um, we'll see you know what kind of uh, things they want to run and then uh you know what what type of players they they want to uh um attract to jacksonville as uh free agency in uh, the draft uh, beyond trevor lawrence so i'm you know ready to hear your guys's insight into why trevor balky wouldn't work for the jaguars but um hopefully he does work out you just named trent trevor but i mean god bless uh trevor lawrence i i mean his his coach is good um, the GM, I'm just going to go and give it to Joey. This will be his, this is going to be your walk-off sort of for this episode. <laughs> I mean, I hope that you'll come back on because this has been awesome. I mean, Josh and I, we are absolutely thrilled with everything you've given us. And, um, Trent Balky has definitely left uh, a mark on both of our lives, uh, Joey, 
for sure. Yeah. So uh, here's here's the good and here's the bad, Josh. Uh, you're a Jaguars fan. You got Urban Meyer. Um, and I think that maybe the title they had for him, for Trent Baalke, they had for him is VP of Player Personnel, which is the same title that we gave him in San Francisco. Um, I say we like I own the team or something, but uh, it's my favorite team, so screw it. And general manager from 2010 to 2016. Now then, uh, he's general manager now Jacksonville. I wish it would have been an Urban takes the reins on everything, but if this is an Urban Meyer handpicked thing, then cool. But uh, I'll just run you through through some of the bad, I guess. We'll start with the bad first, Josh. This is a man that selected A.J. Jenkins in the first round, LaMichael James in the second round, and let's see, who else? Alden Smith, who is obviously was out of the league for three years, a beast when he was, but had some problems. Nice with the Cowboys. Uh, he drafted like five people from South Carolina. I don't know that South Carolina ever did anything, even when Steve Spurrier was their coach. Um, so you just you kind of look at this on some of these drafts, and you're thinking, my goodness, like AJ Jenkins was a horrible bust. Horrible, absolutely the worst. Uh, his 2012 draft was easily the worst draft maybe in 49ers history. Um, you know, and he's he's you got guys in here that, quite frankly, even though we're only, what, four or five years removed from him being part of the team, there's only like one person that's still around, and that's Jimmy Ward. And he may be out after this year. Um, I, I think he's due for a contract. I'm not 100% about that, though. Because I'm not a football journalist, so yet. Um, but the, that's the that's the bad is that he makes a lot of drafts that seem to be in bulk. He's made a lot of drafts like this is the weird stat: 2015 and in 2016. And the, his first two picks for each draft were both players from Oregon and Stan. Uh, or sorry, that was Stanford, not Stanford. I misread that. Uh, but but each year was some was Oregon and it was Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner. Both of those are good. Um, you know, Jakorski Tart still with the team, probably gone this off season. You know, some of the good in here, and I, I know that uh, Philip, I joked with you about this a little bit because I was just like, wow, on Twitter, because Trent Bulky, I remember saying for the life of me for like five or six years, like this guy survived four coaching regimes. How in the world is he still around? Like get rid of him, clean up house. If you're going to clean house, do it. Jed York. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, if you know who's asked to kiss, I guess you can keep a job, but, um, so here's the good though. DeForest Buckner, Ronald Blair, fifth round pick. Good find Eric Armstead. You know, I think that he's better in a four, three, than a three four personally, but and and that's and not necessarily always complimentary to to certain defenses. Jakorski Tart's been pretty good. Um, you know, you look down the list: Jimmy Ward, Carlos Hyde, Aaron Lynch was a really good find. Was at Notre Dame had had some some issues. Goes to South Florida was still a, ended up he was going to be destined to be a first round pick if he was at Notre Dame for the exposure. Goes South Florida still dominates. Good find in the fifth round. Uh, Eric Reed, obviously, Tank Carradine, Vance McDonald, still, he was terrible for us, but he's having a hell of a career in Pittsburgh uh, as a complimentary number two receiver, uh, number two tight end. 
he also drafted Kaepernick. His very first draft, and this is where, Philip, I, this is where I'm stunned because I don't know how it went wrong. His very first draft, and Josh, this is the guy you're getting. His very first draft, Anthony Davis, Mike Upati, Taylor Mays, Navarro Bowman, Anthony Dixon, Nate Byam, Kyle Williams, Philip Adams. Five of those players were really, really good for the organization. Anthony Dixon was a really good situ- situational back. That could also play as an H, a little bit of full. So he, he's he's good at, at finding guys that can kind of be the Swiss Army knife. And he's great at finding linemen, really good at finding linemen. But I don't trust his judgment on knowing, like, A.J. Jenkins was a reach. Third-round grade, first-round pick, shouldn't have happened. So what you're getting is a guy that really is a hit or miss. And, you know, when I looked at the, the drafts before him with Scott McLuhan, um, you know, he, had, he Scott McLuhan brought in Patrick Willis, Joe Staley, and Ray McDonald and Deshaun Golson all in the same draft. Vernon Days, Davis, Manny Lawson the year before that. He this was more influenced by by Mike Nolan. That's why we got Alex Smith instead of Aaron Rodgers, which could have changed everything. I I, I think Alex Smith is awesome. He's literally my favorite football player, uh, just because I think he's an awesome dude and persevered as all hell. And I think in a Jim Harbaugh type system, he literally could have continued to flourish if not for the change but that's my own opinion but in that draft it was alex smith david boss frank gore adam snyder ronald fields i mean just great great players it did a lot for the organization so and and scott McLuhan hit first round picks i mean the patrick willis joe staley vernon davis manny lawson and the nail frank gore what a what a three-year stint that was but um it fell off with Crabtree and guys like that, obviously. But maybe he learned from his mistakes, or maybe you're going to get a ton of South Carolina players that you're hoping are from Clemson and not South Carolina. So, um, you know, I, I think that uh, – I think all in all, though, um, we'll see. I'm not sold on the guy because I've seen the good and the bad. Um, having said that, I really I like what we do with John Lynch. I, I think you've got to have a guy that gets the game, that's played the game. I, I really like having a former player as a GM right now because while you you might hit or miss in some drafts, the Solomon Thomas, the Reuben Fosters, obviously big whiffs. Some of the fines that you get from the practice squad and the, the fines that you're going to get from undrafted free agents, I mean, they've done a really good job, him and Shanahan, of finding those guys. and Maybe Bulky can learn. Everybody can learn, and everybody deserves a second chance, I guess. Um, but certainly, I know that Jaguars have been through a lot as an organization. I mean, y'all haven't necessarily had a culture build around there of positivity since the Mark Brunell days. So uh, if Trevor Lawrence can be that guy and Urban Meyer can be that guy, surely y'all are going to get a ton of Florida and Ohio State guys that used to play for Urban that would want to come to Jacksonville. I think y'all could build something there, but uh, I'd be very intrigued to see if Trent Bulky how that fits together. I'm not convinced. I do think you got the right coach. You certainly got the, the number one draft choice to make the right pick because uh, Trevor Lawrence is head and shoulders the number one choice. I mean, that, that the guy, I hate to say that he's already in Canton because he's not, but he uh, that that's a generational talent. That's a Peyton Manning talent. 
And those are just – you don't give that away. And if Trent Bulky screws that up, he deserves yeah, to be yeah. fired that minute. <laughs> so I don't think he can, but I'm also never surprised this day and age by certain things in the NFL. So we'll see. But there you go, man. Good on y'all for Trent Bulky. Happy for yeah. y'all. Glad it's y'all and not us. Yeah. I wanted I wanted uh, I wanted you Joy to do it because you you could do it in a much nicer uh, way than I could. Uh, uh, fundamentally, for the pain, the AJ Jenkins pick amongst others that he made, um, also being a ball licker, um, running Jim Harbaugh out of town when we were the team that could have went somewhere, whether it was Alex Smith or Colin Kaepernick, who doesn't have a job, when, but when you consider some of the quarterbacks that are in this league, um, it's ridiculous. Um, Trent Baalke can evaluate the, the great point you made about evaluation of certain segments um, of the team where he understands certain aspects but he's not a great evaluator of skill position talent on the offense. And that's the concern uh, when you consider Trevor Lawrence is going to be the number one pick of the NFL draft. They do have good wide receivers. They have a running back, uh, running back that I was able to utilize in fantasy football um, and do work. And I'm sure Josh is probably going to mark out and probably draft him in every draft, even though it's not in his analytical sense. He might go and fall into that um, because he's tough. Uh, He's got that Fred Taylor mold going to him. He's got that Natron means kind of thing to him. Uh, Trevor Lawrence has, I mean, he has the, he has the flow like Rico Abreu. He has the flow that probably Mark Brunel had in um, uh, in 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 his time when he was a Jacksonville uh, quarterback. So we will see. I mean, he can't screw up the number one pick. We don't believe. Um, but if somebody's willing to go and trade the house. I don't know if it's it's screwing up the number one pick, but then you're going to give up Trevor Lawrence, theoretically. Um, I mean, when you think about uh, Blake Bortles, when he came out in the league, uh, he, he had had, he was in UCF. He had played very well. But his game did not coordinate, did not transition into the pro game. Uh, very well, even though he had the arm talent, he had skills, he had athleticism, but his, he didn't transition very well into the pro game. And then you count whatever the coaching, the different coaching staffs, um, they didn't build an offense. Uh, they didn't build an offense to, um, truly fit him, but then also I don't think he was really fit for the NFL game the way he played. But they were in the lead in an AFC championship game, what is it, four years ago against the New England Patriots. I think that was the same Super Bowl that 
they were down 28 to three. So the notion is um, Jacksonville could have made that Super Bowl there. Um, Jacksonville made an AFC championship game with Tom Coughlin, Mark Brunel, Jimmy Smith, Keenan McCardell, or not Jimmy, Keenan McCardell and the whole um, group there way back when beat Denver before they went on their run. So it's possible. Um, Joey and I have been through the ringer in our lifetime. Uh, We were too young to really realize how great the Niners were. Then we saw Steve Young win early in our lives. Um, I have that DVD and I'll hold it for the rest of my life because that was one of the best Super Bowl performances ever. He's one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. I don't care what anybody says. But since then, it's been a lot of pain. Um, My liver's going to be celebrating its 80th birthday on Tuesday. Um, I say it's 80th. It's probably worse than that because I've had plenty of bad nights. Um, The 2008 Daytona 500 being among them. The last two Super Bowls the Niners have been in uh, probably aged me about 20 years each time. Um, But, you know, with that, I want to thank you, Joey. You're an awesome guy. Um, I didn't know what we were going to talk about, but, dude, um, amongst uh, among many talents you have, I got to say, whatever you do, if you do another podcast, please have us on because you have so much insight and so many rants that it's it's real and I love it. It's what this is this medium is meant for. You're meant for this medium as much as you're meant for the print side. Um I mean, there's. I hope that you can come back on. Uh, you could let us know about your, you know, your your endeavors that you will have because you will have, you will have stuff to do. Um, and I hope that you can go and plug us in before you go and fly off or drive off to wherever you're going to be able to drive off to um, here in 2021. But um, thank you so much, man, for uh, coming on uh, the GSP. Yeah, no, it's been fun. Um, thanks for giving me a platform to rant, I guess. Uh, as y'all found out quickly, I could go off on tangents, and 10 minutes later, we're on a totally different subject. But uh, so, so I guess thanks for that. Um, it's been fun. I definitely want to come on again. Uh, it's a pleasure to meet both of you both. Uh, I know I interact, Philip, with you on Twitter uh, pretty frequently as Niner fans. But uh, never actually talked to you uh, quite quite on this level. So pretty cool to do. Uh, good to meet you both. And Josh, hopefully your team doesn't screw up the number one pick. Um, even if they do, you still got to go through Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, and gosh, whoever else knows. At now at this point, the Chargers quarterback that whose brain leaves me at this point. So Justin uh, Herbert. You know. As a Niner fan, I'm over here wondering if we're about to trade Nick Bosa and two draft picks to get Deshaun Watson. If not, then I'm hoping we get Patrick Sertain the second in the NFL draft. 
because we certainly need someone there with speed that can do a better cover job than Richard Sherman did the last year and change. So that said, there's my last Niner Geek moment, and I greatly appreciate you all having me on. Well, um, before we fully let you go for tonight, and we thank you for your patience here, uh, let us know where we can follow you on social media and where we can find you uh websites and wherever so um social media handle is on twitter uh at joey barnes 85 i think it's the same on instagram but i don't know i'm not on there as frequently as i probably should be because it's the off season and now that the pandemic's happened we don't go anywhere to point and shoot pictures um and then uh, i have my own uh website motorsports tribune uh that uh, I've got a got a really good couple of guys, uh, David Morgan, Luis Torres, that do a lot of work on there. And obviously, uh, you know, they've got normal jobs, so they're also trying to pursue the racing dream. And so that gives them kind of a platform to to try to get some opportunity to try to get out there and, and connect with people and work and, and show people how serious they are. And, uh, uh, you know, it's it's been good for them. Uh, hopefully we can keep it going through the pandemic and stuff like that, but, um, and we'll see what happens with me in the near future as far as what I can tell you about my platform. So, um, we'll just kind of see where it all goes, but, uh, yeah, anyone that wants to can follow me, interact with me on, on Twitter and, um, yeah, it should be fun. Not much, not much else to tell other than that. Not much else to tell yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully we have some news and um, if you uh, so choose, you can go and break it here on the GSP and also on the Twitter machine that has been cleaned up here in recent weeks for sure. Um, We thank you again um, and hope that this is just the first of many appearances because I don't want to speak for Josh, but this has been enlightening, number one, but also it's just fun to have somebody else that just has this passion and feelings about so many things. It's what, it's why I made this deal uh, happen along with the help of um, Frank Linker and Missy Linker. Uh, they, I mean, Frank said I needed a co-host because I did my own thing and I was not very good, but Josh has been my right-hand man and he's my calm, he's the one, like the positive, he's the good person on the one shoulder and I'm the bad person on the other shoulder. That's basically what it is. And I help Josh out, you know, going and getting things out because I love when Josh goes off on rants, but the fact is Josh is mad chill and he's a sim guy. Uh, so that's why this exists. That's why open forum for you, Joey, to come on at all times. Uh, and we're thankful that you were able to come on tonight. We had a lot of fun. Uh, Josh, before we go and finish this deal off, uh, let us know where we can find you and where you can go and stream your racing um, on iRacing. Yeah, so first of all, I just you know want to say you know thanks to Joey to coming on and um, 
you know, I really enjoyed uh, your insight and the you know, the things he talked about it. Um, just, you know, you're really knowledgeable, um, you know, about a, a lot of uh, different series and, you know, not just any car, but, you know, also Formula One sports car and, you know, even NASCAR and all, all that stuff. Um, you know, like you said, with sports car stuff earlier, like um, you gave like a lot of information um, just about the um, race this week or, you know, the Rolex 24 coming up. But, uh, you know, like you said, it was like, oh, that's all. Um, it was limited, but I mean, it was a lot of stuff that you gave. So just love the knowledge you um, continue to uh, pour out, and the you know even the humility that comes with that. But um, for me, uh, you know, you can always follow me on Twitter at uh, JP Huffine, and then we'll have the uh, iRacing uh, and just gaming in general streams, uh, uh, Twitch.tv slash Usailor2. That's where we'll, we'll be having all uh, the streams on for uh, sim racing and everything. Um, didn't really do a, a whole lot of it on iRacing the past week. Uh, kind of got a little bit busy and uh, did a little bit of other uh, gaming on there. But um, well, that's well, that's where I'll uh, be streaming all of that, and um, hopefully uh, can do a little bit more this week and uh, um, maybe ha- have some other stuff. Maybe do some Call of Duty or Madden or something like that as well. But uh, that's where you can follow me. Yeah, you should go and race uh, Jimmy Broadbent. Then you could get some followers. If you go and turn him in a race, then you'd get a ton of followers uh, for sure. Because I follow Jimmy on YouTube too, so that would be a way to go. I I think you should just go and you should just go and if he runs NASCAR because he is running like oval, he's running like you whatever league D or whatever D license rookies. Yeah. You should just go and hook him and just put him in the fence, put him like go and Matt Kenseth him and end end him the way that Matt Kenseth ends ended his own career. Um, that would be a way to go and get followers for sure, or probably get haters, but either way, it would be a way to go and get us followers on the GSP because I would talk about it. Cause I'd be so proud of you. Not because I I'm a Jimmy broadband guy. It, this is bad because I'm marking out for so many people. Uh, but I just find him to be funny guy even though I'll never be able to drive a Skyline in my life, even though I love the Nissan Skyline. But he's more real because he freaking does it in a shed. But if Josh hooks him in a race, it would be hilarious. And because I want to get the uh, post-game. And then, of course, Joey could go and get inside information, and he could go and report, and he could get another hook amongst all the great um, places that uh, he can go and cover. He can go and hook the sim game and probably get a connection to like George Russell possibly since before he goes to Mercedes and takes over for Lewis Hamilton. But um, you can find uh, me at Philip G. Matthew on Twitter. Uh, you can find philipgmatthew.com on uh, WordPress where the show is and hopefully – I'll be able to get back to writing so I can try to act like I am uh, someone of a level of Joey Barnes, even though I'm not. Uh, You can also find me at sportlightpro.com for Formula One content. You can find the Grip Strip podcast 
on uh, on Podbean and uh, anywhere that uh, you find podcasts. You can find it on uh, Amazon Music. You can find it on. You just go look for Grip Strip Podcasts. And we're on most places that you can find it there. So um, we thank you for listening tonight. We thank uh, Joey Barnes uh, for being absolute an absolute beast, um, going full Patrick Willis, who, who is the day before my birthday. Um, he drove through this podcast and made us come correct. And we thank you for that. Um, thanks to Josh for being the best sidekick I can have for sure. Um, and we're going to keep on doing this thing and we hope joy will come back and Josh and I will be back next week to go and preview the Rolex 24 and all kinds of nonsense that's going on in NASCAR and whatever else is going on in motorsports and sports. We'll have a Super Bowl to talk about for sure. We didn't even go over the football. This We didn't go over the, the championship games. We're going to go over those next week for sure um, and what happened. And we'll go over and give a little early preview of the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 55 in uh, Tampa Bay, Uh coming up in a couple of weeks uh the super bowl is close to my heart for multiple reasons uh we thank you for listening to grip strip podcast uh follow us listen to us at grip strip pod on twitter and um and follow us wherever you can find podcasts and we thank you uh social distance wear a mask take care of one another and uh good night